Well, as we join together with our friends in the Community Life Center, we want to take a brief moment to acknowledge the significance of this day and the people we honor on it. This, of course, is Mother's Day, a day that reminds us of the fact that that God brings us into life through the giftings of other people. And so we want to take a moment to honor God by honoring our mothers. So I want to ask both here in the sanctuary and in the Community Life Center, let's start this way. If we've got any great grandmas among us, would you just stand and remain standing? All right, there's one in the balcony, one down front. I don't know about over in the CLC. We've got several around the room. Just remain standing. Just remain where you are. Now let's join to that. Do we have any grandmothers in the room? We'll ask you to stand. Grandmas, would you stand up? All right, there we go. In the CLC as well. Congratulations. Thank you. Remain, if you would just remain. Now, moms, all the mothers among us, would you stand so we can thank you for your gift to us? Thank you very much. Now, remain standing. Anybody here whose life has been impacted positively by a mother, would you stand? Look around you folks. If you doubt the importance of moms, just see. Let me ask you to join me as we pray together. Gracious God, you reign over us in wisdom and strength as our Heavenly Father. And yet you nurture us with the fierce love of a mother. And so on this day, we thank you for the gift of mothers. By your plan for us, our mothers bore us into this world, giving life to us through the sharing of their very bodies, reminding us that our lives come to us only as pure gifts. And so on this day, oh God, we thank you for all those who have been mothers to us. For those who bore us physically into this life. Thank you especially for those who chose to do so under difficult circumstances. When it might have been tempting or easy to give way to the culture of convenience and death. They could have chosen to bring our lives to an early end, but they made the faithful choice to nurture us into this world. And for that, we give you thanks. Thank you for those who have mothered us through the loving path of adoption. Who have reminded us that the true mark of family is not determined by blood relations, but rather by sacrificial and self-giving love, just as Christ made us part of your family by offering himself to us on the cross. Thank you for those who, for whatever reason, never had children of their own, but who have yet chosen to pour themselves into loving and serving others, becoming mothers to us all in the faith. And on this day, we hold up to you all for whom this day brings a touch of sadness or pain. For those who have lost a child, for those who are estranged from a child, for those who were never given a chance to have a child of their own, you tell us in your word that you set the lonely in families, and by your mercies we are your family in Jesus Christ, the one who gives sight to the blind and salvation to the lost and life 
through all those trapped in the death of sin. By His grace, raise up the many kinds of mothers among us that we may honor you by honoring them. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And now let me ask you to turn with me in the Scriptures to the Old Testament book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. We're going to begin reading today in chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. God is giving instructions to His people through Moses, and here's what He says, beginning in verse 17. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. Because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you were to eat bread made without yeast. From the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreign or or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses or strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord God gave you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover. It is the sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down in worship. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Well, it has now been over 2,000 years since Jesus physically walked this earth. And while some of us have been around a little longer than others, none of us have been around quite that long. Which means that none of us here today, in this room, in the CLC, nobody within the sound of my voice, has had the chance to meet Jesus face to face. Now, let's be very, very clear and unconfused about something. Jesus is still fully present to us this morning through His Holy Spirit. He is present with us this morning just as much as He was with His disciples on that first Resurrection Sunday. But that presence among us, it is a spiritual presence. We cannot see Him or touch Him physically the way those disciples did following His resurrection. Which poses an interesting question. 
if none of us have ever met Jesus face to face, how can any of us rightly claim to know him? And the answer to that question is really amazingly simple. We know Jesus because the people who came before us introduced us to him. And the people who came before us knew Jesus because the people who came before them introduced him to them. And the people who came before them, you get the point. It has been the privilege and the responsibility of every generation to tell the story of Jesus to those who come after them. Now, none of this is to discredit or to set aside the power, the importance, or the centrality of Scripture. The Bible is the authoritative record of the story of Jesus Christ. And what God has to say about himself is more important than what we have to say about himself. And so the Scripture is there as our central and authoritative guide. But even the Bible declares that God intends for each generation of believers to be active and intentional in passing along his story to those who come after him. Consider these words from Psalm 78, beginning in verse 1. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. They then would put their trust in God. And would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. God does not assume that each new generation will just magically find their way to the gospel story on their own. Instead, he assumes, expects, requires even that each generation will be actively engaged in transmitting the faith to those who come after them. That's why we read the instructions that God gave to the Hebrews through Moses that we just read in, in Exodus chapter 12. At this point in the story, the Hebrew people are still slaves in Egypt, but, but God is about to do something to change that. He is about to send the angel of death who will come and strike down the firstborn of every Egyptian household while he will pass over all of the Hebrew households. And in the ensuing chaos, the Hebrew people will make their dramatic escape. But notice how I phrase that. God is about to do this. Or as we say in the South, God's fixing to do it. It hasn't happened yet. But notice that God is already giving instructions to the people on what they are supposed to do to remember this event into the future. Remembering the event is built into the instructions of the event. This, of course, is where the Jewish Passover celebration comes from. God wants to make sure that the people never forget what he's done for them. But God doesn't just want them to remember it for themselves. 
He wants them to remember it to their children and to their children's children and to their children and to every generation that is to come. And so, on this Mother's Day, when we celebrate families, and even more specifically on this day when we have made some promises to one another through the parent-child dedication that we shared a moment ago, I want us to take a few moments to focus on our privilege and our responsibility of transmitting the faith to future generations and talk about the importance of our ministry to our children. Now, let's begin by acknowledging that we are no longer bound by the old covenant that God spoke through Moses. That tedious instruction about not eating unleavened bread, we don't have to worry about that. We've been set free from that. That's been fulfilled because we are children of God through the new covenant established by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And yet the underlying spiritual principle still holds. We are called to minister to our children and to our children's children and to do everything we can intentionally and purposefully to introduce them to the living God, to give them the opportunity to come to know Him, to trust Him. And I want to spend a few moments discussing how we do that, and I want to do it by speaking to a couple of groups among us this morning, and all of us will belong to one or both of these groups. First, I want to speak to those of us here this morning who have children, particularly those of us who still have children living at home. And for those to whom that doesn't apply, who don't have children, or whose children have already moved on into adulthood, don't worry, there's a word for you here as well, but indulge me for just a moment while I speak to the parents among us. Parents, the word for you is simple and direct. Whether you realize it or not, you are the single most important influence in the development of your child's spiritual life. That shouldn't surprise us, because God has designed the family to be the most basic socializing influence in the world. The family, we can easily see, is under a lot of attack these days, both externally and internally. But that shouldn't blind us to the central role that God intends the family to play in raising God-fearing children. Now, that's true in every area of life. Some of our most basic impressions about some of the most fundamental aspects of life come from our experiences as children with our families of origin. How do we treat other people? How do we respond to the struggles and the challenges of life? How do we manage our resources? How do we set priorities? Is the world fundamentally a safe place or is it a hostile place? I don't care how old we get, how accomplished we become, some of our answers to those questions were formed in our early years by our experiences with our families. That dynamic is no less true than when it comes to our understanding of and our response to God. Now it will ultimately be up to every child to decide for himself or herself whether or not to follow the path that we lay out for them. But our calling is to be intentional about laying out that path. So parents, 
This means that we cannot be passive and lazy about transmitting spiritual principles and practices to our children. We cannot assume that just because we haul our kids to church once or maybe even twice a week that we've met our obligation. Now, don't mishear me. Bringing our children to church is vitally important because as we will see in a moment, the church has a critical role to play. But think of it this way, in the best case, church involvement means that the church may have access to and influence over your children for one or two hours a week, maybe three if you bring them back on Wednesday nights. One to three hours a week. The world has access to them pretty much the rest of the time. And so if they're not seeing a living example of the faith being modeled before them in the home that's reinforcing what they're being told and shown here at the church, well, then the church is going to have limited effectiveness. It is an uphill battle. Over the years, especially in recent decades, there's been an increasing tendency that's been documented in all sorts of places for, for children who grow up in the church to kind of drift away from the church after they enter into young adulthood. They graduate, they head off to college or to work or to whatever is next in those early years of their adult life. And they have a tendency to sort of step away from the church. Now some of them, in my experience, and I'm speaking only anecdotally here, some of them have a tendency to drift back into the church when they start having children of their own. It's like the light bulb goes off and suddenly they realize the help that they're going to need. But increasingly, we're seeing that even that is not the case. Lots of studies have been done in the last few years showing an increase of a group referred to as the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. The nuns. People who when are asked to identify which religious faith they self-identify with, they select none. And a lot of those who call themselves nuns had exposure to the Christian gospel growing up but in their early adulthood, moved away from it, never to return. Now, all kinds of studies have been done to, to look into this phenomenon, but there is one clear trend that has emerged. The single strongest predictor of whether young people stay connected to the church is not the frequency of their church attendance. Now, church attendance matters, it's on the list, but it's not the most important thing. Consistently, the single strongest predictor of whether children remain connected to the church is whether or not those children have connections to parents who model a spiritual life in the home. And so parents, this means that while the church must be a reliable partner to you in the spiritual work you're called to do, the church cannot do that work for you. God has uniquely placed that opportunity in your hands. Now, what does that look like? How do you model a spiritual life in the home? There is no simple one-size-fits-all answer to that question. There's plenty of room for the uniqueness of personal style and individual personality to fit into the conversation. But I would come at the issue by thinking through two sets of questions. First, parents, do you have an active spiritual life of your own? 
to ask it differently. What are the spiritual practices and disciplines that shape your own relationship with Jesus? Is there a time and a place in your routine where you regularly engage with Scripture? Where or how does prayer fit into your life? Are you intentional about asking for forgiveness when you know you've messed up, even maybe especially with the family? Are you deliberate about offering forgiveness to others when they harm you? Where are the places in your life where you are actively, intentionally, thoughtfully involved in serving other people? Are you cultivating habits of financial stewardship? Do you participate actively in the worship and study life of the church? Now, those are questions we all need to be asking ourselves. They're not unique to parents. But if you are a parent, they become doubly important because we cannot pass along to our kids what we don't have for ourselves. You see, kids have this amazing ability. They've got this built-in radar. They can tell instantly whether we're being real with them or not. They see through us with x-ray vision. And so we've got to tend to our own soul first. Parents, your ministry to your children begins with your ministry to yourself. Nurturing your own spiritual life before God. But then second, when and how are spiritual matters discussed or handled in the home? Do spiritual things get talked about at all or do they get pushed aside as being awkward and uncomfortable and unimportant? We talk about everything else in our house naturally, easily. We talk about sports, politics, the day's events. Do we talk about God? Now understand, I'm not talking about preaching to your kids. In fact, I kind of advise against that. I do that for a living, but it doesn't work when I walk through the door of my house. I'm talking simply about everyday conversation. Do our children have the chance to see God in our engagement with Him as a routine part of everyday life? Or is that due to something that's so strange we don't even know how to approach it? Now let me share a personal example, a personal story with you. Both kind of as an example and also as a word of warning. And I I hold this up not to highlight ourselves. I stand before you as one who who must confess my own failures in this area as much as anybody. But but some years ago, when our kids were younger than they are now, in fact, we were still living in another city at the time, we developed this practice of sitting down, not necessarily every night, but a few nights a week, and recapping our day with each other. We'd go around the room and we would each be asked to share something good that had happened that day, something bad that had happened that day. And then we would also be asked to share where or how we saw God at work that day. Now the first few times we asked that question, we got blank looks from our kids. What are you talking about? But after a short time, it became a little more natural and a little more normal and things started to flow And oftentimes the answers to that question would be simple, an act of kindness that we experienced with a friend, a beautiful sunset that we saw, anything that reminded us of the goodness of God. Now, now we didn't try to do a lot of in-depth theological analysis of this, 
We simply try to bring conversation about God and his presence into our daily lives so that we could begin to talk about him with some normalcy and some naturalness, the same way we talk about anything else that was important to us. Now there's the example, here's the warning. You notice how I said we used to do that? That was another season of life, and that season has ended for us, at least in some of the specifics. Our kids are older now, still at home, but one is driving, the other is in middle school. Between school, sports, part-time jobs for them, full-time job for me, other demands that my wife has, all kinds of things that are going on, it is rare when we have one night when we're all at home together. Now, I say that to you not to ask for your pity. That's just an acknowledgement of the season that we are in. But I share it with you for this reason. Parents, the window of opportunity is closing faster than you think. Because that season feels like just yesterday. But it wasn't. You may think, I've got 12 years, 18 years to get this right. And maybe you do. But I promise you, those will be the fastest 12 years of your life. You will blink once and they will be gone. Now I tell you that not to frighten you, but to simply make us aware that we have to move while we have the chance. We cannot miss the opportunity that God is placing before us right now. Now is the time to begin pointing our kids to Jesus before other habits take over. Parents, it begins with you. God has put a unique ministry in your hands. But you can't do it alone. We acknowledged that a moment ago in this parent-child dedication that we shared. It's too big of a task. The demands that are going to be asked of you, the sacrifice that you're going to have to make, you cannot do it alone. And so, let me speak to everybody else who was among us, because whether you have children at home or not, you have a vital and indispensable role to play in transmitting the faith to future generations. Like a lot of ancient cultures, <clears throat> the Israel that we read about in the Bible was a very communal culture. The nuclear family was important, but to an extent more than we really appreciate today, the family saw itself as part of an extended family that spread throughout the community. We get a glimpse of that in this really interesting story in the second chapter of Luke's Gospel, where after having been to the temple in Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph were making their way home when it says they discovered Jesus wasn't with them. Now, interestingly, it says a full day had passed by before they even noticed that he was missing. Now, as modern parents, that shocks us. I have an app on my phone that tells me where my kids are 24 hours a day. But why wouldn't they think it odd that Jesus was missing? Because in that day and time, it was perfectly normal for children to move in and among the larger family unit, amongst others in the community, because they understood the shared responsibility that the whole community played in raising children. 
So it was perfectly normal for them to just assume Jesus would have been with friends or relatives. Turns out, of course, he was back in the temple in Jerusalem teaching the elders. But that's another story for another day. So, in Exodus chapter 12, when God gives instructions to the Israelites what they are supposed to do, when their children ask them about the meaning of this ceremony, we shouldn't assume for one second that he is only speaking to the biological parents in the crowd. This was a communal responsibility that they shared. You know, I referred a moment ago to, to the studies about spiritual influences on children. We said the single most important predictor of continued church involvement is connection to parents who model a spiritual life. The second most important predictor was connection to adults other than parents who model a spiritual life for them. That means that beyond what kids see in their homes, in their moms and dads, children and youth need a connection, a meaningful connection to a supporting network of spiritually engaged adults who can befriend them, encourage them, nurture them. I know that's been the case in my life. If you had come to me when I was in my early 20s and asked who were the greatest influences beyond my parents, at that point in time I probably would have named some college professors because those were the people who at that season of life loomed sort of large in my view, my horizons of life. But now that I'm a little further, a little further down the road, I look back and I see things differently. I now realize that the greatest influences on my life outside my parents were the adults at the Hill Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, where I grew up. They were ordinary, simple people, nothing spectacular, except for the fact that they took me under their wings. They showed an interest in me. They encouraged me. They befriended me. And now that I'm pushing 50 years of age, when I look back, those are the people that I want to model my life after now. Those are the people I want to be like. I think the same is true for the children and the youth who are growing up amongst us in this congregation. You will never know the powerful impact you their extended family have on the development of their faith and the development of their personhood. So what does this mean for us? Let me start with a simple suggestion. So simple it might almost seem silly to name it, but name it we will. How intentional as a church family are we about welcoming children into our midst? Now I know every church thinks it's a welcoming church. I've never met a church yet that said, no, we're not a friendly church. Every church thinks it's a friendly church. But unfortunately, they tend to have kind of a narrow understanding of what that means. How welcoming are we truly? Are we even aware of the presence of children and youth among us? They're here. I promise you, they're here. They may be staring at your kneecaps, but they're here. Do we notice them? If not, why not? We need to go out of our way to greet and welcome the young generations among us. 
smile at them. Speak to them. If necessary, and for those for whom it's possible, get down on one knee. Look at them face to face. Children know instinctively whether or not they are welcome. We must make an intentional effort to go out of our way to make sure that's their experience. Next, make it a matter of routine to pray for our children and our youth, even the ones who aren't yours. I've already alluded to the fact that as a church, we have face-to-face interactions with young people maybe one to two to three hours a week while the world has access to them, it seems like 24-7. So statistically speaking, the odds are stacked against us. So whether your children are yours or not, they are your children. And we need your prayers that the gospel will take root in their lives because I promise you it won't just happen by accident. We as a community have to bring all of our spiritual resources to bear on bringing the next generation into the faith. And then finally, have you ever considered looking for an opportunity to serve in some way in our children's ministries in this church? Even if you don't have children of your own, there may very well be a place for you there. Right now, as we are sitting in this room worshiping God, in other places in our building, there are adults who are teaching Sunday school to children. Right now, there are adults who are taking care of toddlers and preschool and the nursery. Right now, there are adults who are rocking babies and, yes, changing diapers. And some of those adults who are doing that right now don't have children of their own. And yet, they they still see the need and the usefulness of ministering to other people's children. And that's just on Sunday mornings. There are other needs throughout the week and the month and the year where you can get plugged in where you might very well be needed. Wednesday night mission groups, music time for kids, youth power hour, student choir, mission trips, vacation Bible school. These are just some of the places where we all have a chance to make an eternal impression on the next generation. In the newsletter that just went out, there's a short article that contains six simple lessons that people who have served in our children's ministries have learned from the children they serve. Because God is waiting to reveal himself to us even there. Parents, church, we have a high and holy calling. And I can make you a promise this morning. If we don't make an impact on our kids, the world will. They will be shaped and influenced. The question is, how? And by whom? On this Mother's Day, may God give us the grace to answer that question faithfully. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this extended family of which we have the privilege of being a part through the mercies of Jesus Christ. And now, O God, make us family to one another by those same mercies. Through Christ we pray. God is our Father, no matter our station in life. 
no matter our marital status, no matter whether we have children of our own or not, God is the Father of us all. And he calls us to be his children through Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted that gift, then as we sing here in a moment, I would encourage you to come forward while, while you have the chance to receive that gift. If you need a church family where you can be part of an extended family of faith, we want to offer that to you. If that's where you are this morning, would you come forward? But all of us have a calling to be responsive to God's claim upon us, to nurture our own souls and the souls of those around us. I pray we will have the faith to do so wisely. Let's stand and worship him together.